Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 166. This episode is from our three-part special from that conference in Wisconsin Dells. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. Right now we have Rachel Krause. She's a user experience engineer at Concurrency. Welcome. And you also um, help run MKE.net is a... Uh, local conference? Yeah, I'm on the speaker committee for MK.net and kind of help put all the logistics together, so it's pretty fun. So you know a little bit what it takes to put on something crazy like I heard this. it's really easy. <laughs> yeah, super easy. It takes like no time at 10 all. 10 minutes of planning. <laughs> we just like wing it. It's great. Yeah, um, last week Clark, uh, he reached out and he said, oh shoot, I got to start thinking about that conference again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, we started this way early this year. Uh, planning MK.net pretty much as soon as we wrapped up last year's in October it was like okay let's think about next year in 2017 so we made some big changes we're really excited um, so it'll be it'll be a great time in September awesome well thank you for volunteering and putting forth so much energy in something like that yeah. I know it's always fun being at places like this yeah, yeah. definitely and tomorrow you're actually giving a speech uh, a talk here about CSS frameworks I am, yeah. It's uh, Think Outside the Jumbotron, Choosing a CSS Framework. So that means there's more than Bootstrap, is what you're telling me. Uh, believe it or not, there is more than Bootstrap. Yeah, I, it, it was a shock to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is out there? Like, Give us the, give us the overview. Yeah, so I'm going to go through Bootstrap, Foundation, Skeleton, and then if you want to roll your own, so if you want to start from scratch or just use a grid, uh, and kind of go through some of the pros and cons of each um, and just kind of wind in some of my own stories that I've had with each of them okay. um, to just show that like we don't have to use bootstrap for everything and the mm -hmm. internet can look different <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's my primary goal I don't have that. time for that so so are these uh, like what is the relative popularity then like uh, are we seeing a shift you know because like we were you know we were just talking to JS dude and uh, <laughs> and he was talking about um, you know, Angular was so popular, and now there's all these other frameworks that are that are sort of taking over. So, is like is the same thing happening on the other side of the house? Then, I I don't know that it's necessarily getting more popular. These other frameworks, I think okay. it's it's more a matter of we're building new frameworks to suit new um, or suit different uses for them. Yeah. So, you know, Skeleton's super lightweight, Bootstrap's kind of heavy, and I think a lot of people just go to Bootstrap because that's what they're used to, and we yeah. reach for what's comfortable. And my challenge is to say, hey, like, there's all these other frameworks out there. Let's see, are we really using this for the right reasons? Right, right. So, like, what are what are some of the criteria then? Like, you, you mentioned lightweight. Yeah. Uh, for Skeleton, I had never even heard of Skeleton. I'm so out of it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like, you know, I, I just like I was talking to JS dude, and, and you know, I was mentioning like it's just it's just paralysis whenever I try to start a yeah. project now because there's so many options. So, like, wh what are my criteria? Like, how do I actually pick one? Well, you kind of have to think about uh, 
the site that you're building, mm-hmm. um, how the development process is going to work. So, um, you know, if you're working together with a whole bunch of developers and maybe we've all used Bootstrap, we're building a complex application. Yeah, cool. Use Bootstrap. That's a perfect example of it. Um, but maybe if you're doing something that's a little more higher designed, you've got crazy mockups for it. Um, maybe you want to reach for something that's going to be a little easier to overwrite because Bootstrap's got a lot of like border radiuses and a lot of you know just fluff design um, that you could reach for foundation or skeleton instead. Um, so kind of keeping those things in mind. So, so these are our frameworks. Are they all built with kind of the same tools? Are they like all SaaS or do they? straight CSS or less? I mean, it's a mix. Yeah. So the new bootstrap bootstrap version four, which is still in alpha, um, they support SAS, Mm -hmm. uh, whereas three was less, um, skeleton doesn't have a preprocessor, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but there's only 400 lines of straight CSS, which is crazy. So Um, it's pretty easy to go in and just kind of get it all in your head. Yeah. And you know, if you wanted to use a preprocessor with Skeleton, you could. There's plugins mm-hmm. out there. So I think there's enough of a community for all of them that you can you can find what you need depending on, on what you're building. Okay. And then what about, you know, if I'm choosing a particular framework, is that gonna cause me issues? I mean, are they pretty open now? So if I'm using um, you know, he just he just introduced me to Vue.js. Sure. You know, so like can I use Vue.js and Skeleton? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean skeleton specifically is yeah. straight up CSS. Oh okay. It's not it's not anything else. So they don't have JavaScript like Bootstrap does. You know, Bootstrap's got the the plugins for accordions or drop downs. Oh, okay. Skeleton doesn't have any of that. Okay. So it's it's basically the front end style of everything. Okay. Now I gotta now I gotta go look this up. <laughs> yeah, Get he, he's on the fly. He does this all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Images of skeleton. It's, it's like literal skeletons. So what do I oh I gotta search for probably like skeleton CSS. Yeah, there you go. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so I mean our, our audience is primarily developers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a, as a developer, what are, what are some aspects that we might be interested in when looking at these compared to someone like you who's a little bit more user experience focused? Yeah, and I, I do um, do front-end development mm-hmm. of all of the sites yeah. that I work on. Um, so things that I like to look for and things that other developers that I've worked with are, is there an open community? Mm-hmm. If I type in an issue that I'm yeah. having with something, is Stack Overflow going to come up or is an actual thread from Bootstrap going to come up and say, here's how to fix it, or, you know, is there good documentation there? And with all three of these, there's great documentation in terms of how to... Um, how to write your syntax and how to make it successful um, and use cases for each component that you can use, um, which I think is really helpful. Um, So as long as you have a good documentation and there's a good community out there, I feel like the developers will be happy. Now, at the very beginning, too, you kind of also threw out another option is kind of just like throw everything away and write it all from scratch. Yeah, it's a scary option. (laughs) (laughs) Is Is it scary nowadays? Because like, you know, when... I started, that was the only way to happen. Yeah, right. And I think um, everyone is is mostly scared when they do that of cross, cross-browser cross functionality. So, like, am I going to be able to, like, make something in Chrome that looks and works the same in, in Firefox or Safari mm-hmm. or Edge? Um, you know, am I going to be able to make something that works across all of those? And I think that's the biggest fear, and that's why people just straight up go to Bootstrap. Is it easier nowadays, though, than it was back kind of like in the browser war days? Because we see the browsers working better together. Oh, so yeah. is it better nowadays than it was five years ago? Oh, absolutely. It's it's 100% better. <laughs> I, remember, I remember, you know, just 
nothing working in IE, you know, nine when I made something. And then it was like, oh my God, what am I going to be able to do here? And so we had to roll back anything cool we did. So we fixed that by just getting everybody off of IE. Yeah, we just all use Edge now or all use Chrome. We just ignore that problem. Um, so now that, you know, the browsers are kind of taking that responsibility yeah. to get up to speed, mm -hmm. the, the frameworks are taking that responsibility to make something that works across everything. I think that, you know, we're coming to a better yeah. uh, coding environment with that. So that has that influenced the kind of state of design that's out there too. I mean, are are we having better uh, looking websites and, and mobile apps because of these these frameworks and everybody working together? I think it's a double edged sword. Um, they look better in terms of they you know there's white space and that comes automatically with a framework mm -hmm. for free. Um, but then we have this like every website looks the same. We all have a jumbotron. We all have this same navigation and the three sections underneath. And, and that's like, that's because of frameworks. And so there's that double-edged sword there. Well, that actually kind of interesting because, you know, if I, if I remember correctly, Bootstrap was based on Twitter. Yep. And Twitter recently like updated some of their font faces and like, at least my Twitter feed went like, Oh my gosh, what the <laughs> heck did they do? This is horrible. And you know, they're, you know, we don't want to be the same as everybody else, but yet when we do make changes, some people just yep. can't handle that either. For sure. And I think it depends on, you know, you have to look at what site you're building. Are you building something that's brand new to the market? Mm -hmm. Are you building something where you're competing with another mm -hmm. site? So yours just has to be better or has to be different. Um, are you building a portfolio and you want it to just, you know, look mm -hmm. cool and amazing? Or is it something that needs to be straightforward? Mm -hmm. And so depending on what you're making, you can say, do I want to go more standard or do I want to go more innovative? And you can kind of balance that. So that's another thing I talk about is, you know, how do we get a good balance between standardization and innovation? Now, this is something I thought about too, is like, can CSS really affect the performance of my website too? Oh yeah, for sure. So Bootstrap has close to 7,000 lines of CSS if you download it and use everything, um, count it. Uh, and it's, it's heavy. So if, if it may not be significant, um, because we're using, you know, high speed internet and, and you don't have to worry about that. Potentially a CDN too, like a central CDN. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, not everybody is right. doing that. Exactly. And, you know, some people are stuck in, you know, underground and they literally are working in a basement and, you know, they don't have high speed Internet. If I have a lot of crazy styles or a lot of crazy overwrites on Bootstrap trying to make my own styles, you know, that can get just a little bit slower, which can kind of hinder that user experience. Mm -hmm. So that's still something we need to be very cognizant of. Absolutely. So th that's why if I'm using a, if I'm making a simple site, you know, I don't have to use Bootstrap. That's mm -hmm. 7,000 lines of CSS. I can go to the 400 lines of CSS and skeleton and still get my design and, and everything out there. I'm just going plain text. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for information hey, efficiency. That's mobile responsive, Jason. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Yeah, mobile, <laughs> Maybe mobile not quite mobile responsive. Yeah. But. So any other, I mean, you're, you're doing a presentation on So any other interesting tidbits in there other than, I mean, it's not just comparing the frameworks. Right? There's, is there anything else in there that you think is really worth mentioning? Yeah, I mean, really the, the main thing I want to get across is, like, let's make the Internet better. You know, yeah. let's, let's not just um, always go for what makes us comfortable. You know, I had, I worked with a client where uh, the legal department mandated bootstrap as like the starting point for every website. And legal I was like, oh yeah, God. legal department. And I was like, wait, 
why? Why does everything have to... Well, that's just what we used the first time. And so legal had to take it and, and do it. And I was like, what? And so, you know, we had another thing where we were using a bunch of, um, a bunch of things that required Node.js. And then legal denied Node.js, but approved everything else. And we were like, you don't... You, you, you can't literally don't understand. That. Yeah. <laughs> so like, there's there's those you know kind of personal stories that it really led me to this conversation and to this this talk is why are we why are we just always reaching for that same thing? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good definitely a good area to focus on. For yeah, sure. and it's it's CSS and it's you know fun stuff and I know that last year I had a conversation with someone at lunch and. We were talking about bootstrap and it got like kind of, mm-hmm. you know, fired up. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to give a talk next year about it. And here I am. So. <laughs> awesome. You showed them. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if they come. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so if people want to reach out to you or find you online, where's a good spot where people could do that? You know, um, I'm on Twitter. Unfortunately, <laughs> Twitter does not let you change your name when you get married. Um, so it's still under my maiden name. Uh, well, you can change the display name, right? Oh, you can, you yeah. So my oh, display name, but not my Twitter email. handle. So my Twitter handle is at Rachel Babiak, um, B-A-B-I-A-K. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will never apparently outgrow that name, unfortunately. <laughs> well, Twitter will go under at some point. Yeah, at some point, no one will be able to reach me on, on Twitter. On Flutter anyway. or whatever the next thing is, uh, you'll, you'll get the right name. So, But yeah, I'm on, I'm on all the social networks, LinkedIn, Twitter, it's Search for you, we'll find you. You will probably find me, and I'll probably talk to you about cats and cool things like that. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. Right right now we have John Kerr with us, and he is simply known as the JS dude. (laughs) Welcome. Uh, it's nice to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So how do you get the title JS dude? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. So this was like, you know, I want to be like friendly to everybody and yeah. then like, you know, whoever needs a, like a question or anything. Yeah. And I'm always open and through my website or even my meetup groups. Uh, that's why I was like, okay, people have hard time to pronounce my name. I said, okay, just call me dude. And then I put like JS in front of it. So now people remember. So, okay, that's the that JS dude. Okay. Did you did you consider dude.js? I have like, <laughs> I, I didn't try for that, but that's a good one. <laughs> so you mentioned to me earlier, like you've been doing uh, a lot of uh, uh, work with uh, Angular and uh, was it React? Yes. Yeah. So I, I guess we were going to kind of talk about that. So I'd like to hear like, what you've been doing lately? Oh, I see. Okay, so I I have like maybe three part of me actually. Yeah. One part is like I'm working as a full time developer, a senior web developer at Nelson, mm-hmm. and second part is I do like a lot of community stuff. So I organize oh, okay. Chicago JavaScript meetup group for like five years, and I have another meetup group I just opened this year is like Chicago front end developers. Okay. And then I go to conferences. So like this is my fourth year giving talk in that 
in this conference okay and i go other conferences like i have another one midwest js so i do all this talk that's the second part and third part is like i help people to learn uh, programming so i do like workshops about react workshop about javascript and also i wrote two books in like it's not in english but i wrote two books for learning programming those are in bengali so these are the three part of me working helping people or writing blog or making youtube uh, tutorials little bit funnier way so that's my goal <laughs> very cool so what is your the session here at this conference so what uh, what was that on oh my session here is like uh, functional programming what why and how because people heard about a functional programming and they get confused is it geeky thing is it so tough and it's like people throws a lot of terminology but underneath all this hard name there is a very simple concept Yeah. So my goal is to make it easy, nice and funny for people to go through pretty much 90% of the things they need to know about functional programming. Okay. And then what what is your language of choice then for functional programming or do you try everything? Oh no, I use JavaScript because I'm just dude, oh, right? Yeah. What else I would yeah, use? Well, <laughs> sorry, I'm 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 a little slow. <laughs> so so how do you do functional programming in JavaScript then? Oh, I see. Okay. It's it's very uh, interesting. First of all is most you need the mindset to do the functional programming that okay, I want to write few function So whatever your function you do like this okay. one and then you have like few helpers to make it easier for example you use immutable js yeah. to make sure you are doing that and you get do few other things is like um uh, like uh, you can use a uh, raman and few other and as well as like you know in javascript function is a first class citizen yeah. that means you can use everything you need for a functional programming yeah. and uh, the hard part is to make your uh, fellow developers having the same mindset that's yeah. a challenging part but language <laughs> is not the challenging part yeah cuz i i always think whenever whenever you say like functional programming i'm thinking like oh this guy does you know f sharp and 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 like oh if you're if you're doing f sharp like you're magically functional you know <laughs> i i know that that's like completely wrong but yeah. my my brain you know there's a part of my brain that just like keeps saying that yeah. and then you say you're doing javascript and you're doing functional programming and i'm like Okay, so it's just got like you said it's just got to be a little bit different way of doing things. So like what is it you know like is it is it like demonstrably better? Like is it you know whenever you're working with these other people are you always able to like, convince them like this is a better way of doing things? Yes, yeah, so you okay. uh, always like convincing is like if I just go and then tell them that okay we're doing functional programming, they will just go back and will not agree <laughs> yeah. right yeah. so you have to find like a good use case to yeah. pursue it right and uh, i have like a good example that uh, comparing it with like a object oriented programming as well as like you know functional programming so like um, one uh, simple example is like you know uh, first thing is like when you have cooking a lot of things together in a pot and everybody is adding something there and it's harder to control what would be the final test yeah so you do a separate one and then you test it So that's the first analogy. And second one is like comparing inheritance versus composition. Mm -hmm. Inheritance is like telling you how your things would be, right? Rather than like you would say like the type is like it it has the animal, it has the dog and those kind of characteristics. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't talk about activity. And when you start doing the activity, then you get a lot of unnecessary activities or code that the parents have which your child might not need 50% of the case yeah. so your object footprint becomes bigger and your debugging becomes harder your call stack 
it becomes like crazy. Rather, the functional one is like you do the composition. I need these functionalities, I just compose these two. There is no parent or child, those kind of thing. So if you find out a, like a good use case in your, uh, that causes a bug and said, okay, look, other than doing this way, if you do functional this way, you can do the debug and fixing this way, other than putting the class, decide how your hierarchy works, those kind of thing. Then the conversation starts with a, like a positive intention towards the functional programming and becomes easier to like convince. Okay. It's like it's a practical other than theoretical approach of like, okay, this is better. Yeah. And nobody will accept it. Then like you're not better. the annoying functional guy, like we must do everything functional <laughs> here. It's more like, hey guys, I think I think there's a better way of doing, you know, X, Y, and Z and yes, exactly. let me show you. And then before you know it, you're just like, haha, you're you're doing functional programming. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so if if somebody wants to start adding you know, pieces of functional programming into something that they're already doing. What, what are some good approaches to, you know, doing it that way? I see. The first thing you you need to understand to do the functional is like pure function. Pure function is nothing but is like it has only one basic rule. And that basic is, look, you will not have any side effect. And whatever you have side effect, you might still need some side effect to load data from the server or maybe doing some IO or the file. Mm -hmm. And you will put them a different module or different place. Mm -hmm. So you know these are the places where you have side effect and these are your libraries. Say I'm doing some addition. This guy, if you are careful, you can do uh, some cases of like, okay, this whatever the input, it will give the same output and it will not read anything global. Mm -hmm. These two things, you remember, you will start mm -hmm. pure function. Pure function is the core of functional programming. Mm -hmm. And then there are few intentions that we are a little bit reluctant when we come from like a .NET or Java. Those mindset is like we suddenly uh, accessing like maybe database connection or something there. So the functional programming, you'll do the same thing, but you pass it as a parameter. Mm -hmm. So when you pass it parameter, now your function inside doesn't depend on external thing. You can test it. You can test it and it would be like, uh, you can be certain what would be the output from it. So you become like more confident when you are writing unit test, when you are debugging, you know, okay, this guy is not depending on external things. Yeah. So if my database connection fails, my function will not blow up. So like you would be more confident, okay, there's no problem here. Maybe there is a problem on the places where I put my side effect things. Mm -hmm. So just first thing you do, write pure function and you are doing pure function already in your code. I can find maybe 30, 40% is there. Just be aware of it. Okay, this is my pure function and I'm writing it. And then it starts doing little more where you can convert, increase the number of pure function. That's the, that's the best and simplest starting point. Okay. And then uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about like Angular and React. So like, what is the, what is the status of that whole, uh, you know, set of frameworks? Because um, I feel like I haven't been paying attention for a few days. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and, and now I'm like, it's a I'm, different world, I'm right? totally out of the loop. Because like, you mentioned Angular 4 before? I didn't yes, even... 4 and 5 is coming. So. Well, okay, so last I heard was Angular 2. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm super confused. Um, and, then, and then I heard like, re it doesn't matter anyway, because React is taking over. So, like, yeah. what, what, so what's the truth there? I see, okay. So the first thing is like, uh, they changed the version system. So there is no Angular 3, 2 from two they go to four 
it's not like of Windows, course. like you know. Yeah. So this kind of you skipped a version, but that's not the case. Yeah, my IQ is a thousand. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I just skipped, you know, between yeah. between fifty and a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> then you might keep track of like Xbox version, like three sixty Xbox One, <laughs> yeah. those kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, so Angular has a good attempt to make it in a good way. So there is a two part you we need to understand. One is like you know. uh building a nice framework and making it popular is two different thing yeah you could have a, like a nice the best framework but it might not be adopted uh widely right. and then time next year will tell maybe the end of next year we will know that whether angular is competing with react or not but uh you can have some feelings based on your idea i'm not going on that direction okay so what i tell in a jokingly is that like angular is good but it has some uh problem for beginners is like it's called i call it like uh, a gorilla banana problem maybe you ask for a banana now you got a gorilla holding that banana <laughs> now, maybe you didn't ask for the gorilla you just want the banana that's it right so i love that i love so that so that's, that's what awesome. that's what the one and another thing i tell is like is so so angular my team might have a fear that okay the open free world they might have hard time to compete so they tried to make it is like an angular.net that i call angular.net which is yeah. angular 2 so they put like typescript which is really good thing yeah and typescript has a lot of nice things like when you do like type safety when you do like a team work with other people is good thing and they they put like few other things which is good the good problem like rx like uh, rxjs which is like reactive programming you use those things and then for debugging purpose they put like jones js to make it perform better but the problem is if as you said like if you didn't pay attention one to two now you have to learn five things yeah that means i told my student whoever like coming to my workshop i said okay angular 2 you have to be aware of like two step children and a step do- a step father mm-hmm. before you get married to angular 2 Yeah. Those are your uh, RxJS, your TypeScript, uh, and uh, your JonesJS. Even you only signed up for Angular, mm-hmm. you have to learn those things. Yeah. So it's a little bit barrier for the beginners, but once you get there, it may becomes your like code standard really high. Yeah. And that could be a good thing, and and my concern is that might bite back Angular. for the people who are trying to switch to angular or something. Yeah, I feel like um, you know, for like a hobby project, like something yeah. I just want to get out there as soon as possible mm-hmm. or as quick I should say as quickly and painlessly as possible. Like I mm-hmm. I remember using Angular 1 mm-hmm. and it was just kind of ridiculously easy to do it. Yeah. And um, you know, I know my code wasn't very good, but mm-hmm. I got I like got something out there and it actually worked pretty well. And then Angular, Angular 2 came along and I was like, "Yes, TypeScript. <laughs> I love TypeScript." And and I loved all the stuff they did in Angular 2, but I'm like Yeah, unless I, you know, unless this is like a project that I have months to spend on full time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah. And uh, one part of it is like uh if I look back say Angular 1 or every every famous framework has some wow factor. Mm-hmm. So Angular 1 has like two way binding wow factor. Yeah. And within a minute or two you just have then a script tag and you do like an uh input tag you get yeah. two way binding right away yeah, wow it's magic. right magic yeah. and react has their uh, wow factor and angular 2 i didn't find any wow factor yeah. and if you want to start it okay now you learn, want to learn angular you have to install angular cli 
which makes it powerful, but another barrier. And somebody is like loading your this. You have the Webpack inside. So, and they do some switching between like System.js to Webpack. So those, the tooling, the JavaScript is becoming harder, harder for the beginners. Mm-hmm. And I doubt okay. Angular might get into that same problem. So it's kind of like, you know, if I get if I get bit by the right spider, I can become Spider-Man. I don't have to do anything <laughs> else. But like if I want to become Batman, like like step one, get rich. Step two, like invent all these different things. And, yeah. you know, and, and I guess actually it's probably a bad example because, you know, I'd want Batman to be better than, than Spider-Man in my example. <laughs> but but you kind of get the point. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Okay, and then... Um, and then React, like I haven't, I just haven't had the, the you know, mental capacity to, mm-hmm. to you know, stay up to date with what's going on in React and, and really pay attention there. So like, I guess my first question is like, what's the deal with React? <laughs> I see. Okay. So or like uh, the recent thing is like they upgraded a few times and then also recently React is upgrading their diff algorithm okay. so that their uh, animation becomes like uh, more smoother. So okay. they are like rewriting their diff algorithm. They're coming with something called Fiber, which mm-hmm. makes it much easier. And the good thing is React is like it got the Facebook effect mm-hmm. and Instagram effect. Yeah. That's the num- number one important thing. And it was very lightweight. Yeah. And it gives you the freedom, flexibility. You don't need anything else or you just can do it with self. Okay. And then uh, that's the general mass it got. And then Redux. Redux came along to make like geeky guys happier with React. So they kind of like made the moderate group and the happier group happier, mm-hmm. like with the Redux. And then it it just grows. And then when like, you know, who make the decision? Sometimes the nerdy guy make the decision, right? Mm-hmm. And and they wants to like do their way mm-hmm. other than they are somebody else telling them. So that's the difference between actually React and Angular. Uh, React is like you have the freedom. Whether you use Redux or not, it's up to you. Okay. You can use something else or you or your medium size, you don't have to use Redux, right? And if you use Redux Saga or Redux Thang, it's up to you. If you use like uh, UI router or you use like React router, it's up to you. So you have the power, right? And Angular is like, okay, they gave you everything mm-hmm. and they could be right, but it's not might not be feel yours. Yeah. So that might be the case. But React is like uh, grabbing the way. But another thing in the uh, corner is like knocking hardly is like Vue.js. Okay. So that's another interesting thing. And, and this just in, while we were recording, the next <laughs> one is out. <laughs> no, Vue.js is like already popular and they passed okay. Angular 1 yeah. number of stars in uh, oh, GitHub. Really? They already passed. So so what is the deal with Vue.js then? Vue.js make like the the crazy things about Angular 1 and React is better. So the Vue.js is like, they have like, there are some problem with like two-way binding in Angular 1. And then there has a problem with uh, how you create the component, those kind of thing. So they make those things like much easier. And there is a huge number of people interested about Vue.js. And even though the star in GitHub might not say a lot of things, but it is maybe the first thing I go and see that how many star on a GitHub project and I know how many people are there. And if it is like less than a thousand, and I consider whether it's a good to incorporate in my uh, repo or not, whether I have to support it to fix my problem or there will mm-hmm. be somebody else there. So Vue.js, the Vue.js or Vue, whatever people say, 
is really, really cool. And I recently started playing with it. It didn't go far, but I have a plan to like explore it uh, next few months. And in our JavaScript meetup group, we ask people what they want to learn or see in their next mm -hmm. meetup. So Vue.js was one of the things people were asking and we set up for next month. So okay. yeah, so there is like framework coming every day and Vue uh, is getting into the enterprise world, but it's already made a, a noise or an attention in the community already. Okay, I've already deleted all my code. I'm starting, <laughs> starting with Vue.js. Yeah. So, so like, I don't know. So somebody listening, I mean, I including myself like i'm just mm. uh just paralyzed by by choice i see yeah. so so i don't know like if i'm making something new mm -hmm. what should i use okay it depends <laughs> like if you are doing uh I, I would have like three options right okay so if you are making it for your side project yeah or you are doing it for your organization or you are doing something that you might need to hire people or those kind of things. Ah, that's, uh, so, that's a good point. Yeah, so there's three points. So first, you are doing for yourself. You can do, okay, I want to maybe uh, enhance my resume so that I will get the next job. And look for doing a small market research and you say, okay, there are some more people is looking for React developers. And if I want a career uh, change or something, I will do my side project on React because it has a demand in the market. And second thing is like you, if you're doing it in the enterprise, it doesn't matter how cool is the new technology or the framework, you have to look at your team or how much time you have. And learning, like if you have like maybe 70% of your developer have to learn something, don't go for that. Right. If you have like 30% people needs to learn, go for it. So even if you're Team strength is jQuery. It's not horrible. jQuery still works, right? It's not like why we don't recommend it because like uh, to get the cool kids, we always want to put the big thing. So enterprise one, look at your team yeah. and with less impact, how you can get. And you have to look into like, you know, the community itself because some point of time you need to use something and you will need other people's help. So look for like side things, not only like Angular, look at like what are the ecosystem there, whether Angular materials is good enough or they have support for like Angular 2 D3 charts, whether you might use the charting or maybe you want to use Google Analytics. Is there any Angular 2 Google Analytics? Otherwise, all these side things will increase your time maybe three, four times. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, number three is like, uh, what is the number three? Uh... Of uh, the frameworks or the criteria? Yeah. Uh, the frameworks were Vue, React, and I see. And the criteria was like one was like for you, for your enterprise. And then third one was... Oh, it was hiring. Oh, hiring. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so if you want to like uh, hire people mm -hmm. uh, based on like your new project or something, yep. definitely go something not the latest thing on the market rather than someone right. has matured a little bit. Yeah. So I would right now on next one or two months, uh, I would rather go for a little stable one other than making a risk which might work or might not work. Because for an enterprise or for a project, I have an average time span of like three to five years I want to support this code base. Yep. So a more already accepted uh, platform will have higher chance of yep. finding people other than the latest thing which is cool but enterprise product has to leave at least three to five years. Otherwise, you will not get your money back. Okay, cool. So that's, and that's also like you will think based on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
so where can people find you online? Okay, people can find me. Uh, first, they can find me if they go to like the website thatjazzdude.com. Okay. <laughs> they can find that. Or they can find me the Twitter, which is like jazzdude005. Or I have like uh, YouTube tutorials. Okay. That also uh, like uh, Jazz Dude. And I make like tutorials. And when I make the tutorials or the workshop, I try to do it in a like a story way. Mm-hmm. Other than not like just, okay, learn right. this, this after that, this after that, this after that. So like when I, for example, when I teach React Jazz, it has a story. Someone try to f- make a friend and then try to find a life partner. Yeah. And then uh, the name of the partner is like potential partner is Emma. And then his name is John. So together he created a website called Emma-John. And that site is surprisingly similar to Amazon. So they're like, <laughs> and then they can relate, okay, yeah. that's how a, if I, with a day workshop, that's how I can make a site like Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then it has like a, a smaller tip. So there is a decision making about the vacation. How this like a two partners discuss yeah. about it. And based on that, okay, decided that, okay, how we pass data from a, parent component to the child component. So like, you know, your partner might win, but you will know that why wins and how you put it in your code. Yeah. So that's a, like a storytelling way of learning because code syntax you will forget. I can guarantee it, but the story and the analogy you will never forget. That's pretty clever. Awesome. Well, thank you, JS, dude. Yes, and, and, nice, <laughs> and nice talking with you and thanks for having me. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit Aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial, and if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. And remember, if you are a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.net, a powerful toolkit for working with Word documents in your applications. Right, now we're talking to Dustin Ewer. Uh, he is a web developer, and I've seen him speak quite a few times at quite a few different user groups and conferences, so he's been around quite a bit. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so what, what, is the, uh, what is the title of your session? So the title of my session is R. It's not just for pirates anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I, I guess, you know, I, I know I know the, that we're not like, you know, talking to like a program manager or something like that where we're saying, like, telling us to explain every aspect. But like, what is R? Because I mean, we have, I bet you if you went around, I mean, this is a conference for developers, but I just have this feeling that, I don't know. 99 out of 100 wouldn't be able to tell you what it actually is. They might not even Maybe get nine close. out of 10. Maybe nine out of 10 would not be able to tell you, tell you what it is. So what is it? So R is a statistical programming language. It's made by statisticians for statisticians. That is the tagline. And sometimes when you program in R, when you write R scripts, that becomes painfully obvious to you with some of the idiosyncrasies of R. Because I was just going to point out that it's, I just read you're a web developer. It, you're not a statistician. So obviously there's some something that we as mere developers and not statisticians can can understand about this 
Uh, absolutely. So there's a couple of different reasons you'd want to learn R. So if you're interested in any kind of statistics or data analysis, R is one of the two default choices. So it's, you're either going to learn R or Python. Uh -huh. They're functionally equivalent, but R is more statistically or more specific to statistics, whereas Python is you know, a general purpose programming language, and then you just download libraries to do your statistical analysis. So one of the things that we bring up on the show every time they do it is like the Stack Overflow developer surveys, and those are always like analyzed with R, if I'm correct, right? They might be. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm just saying, I mean, to me that, that seems like it would be a good fit then because you're getting just all, all this information in via questionnaire and you're just trying to crunch the numbers and trying to figure out what, what do they mean. So at the end of the day, we're trying to apply some sort of meaning to some sort of data. Exactly, and R is a really great language for doing exploratory data analysis. So like, if you're doing Stack Overflow and you have your survey data, R is a really good language to sort of write a kind of an ad hoc script to go through that data and you know come up with the different measurements. Yeah, so I, I don't know, have you done much work with Python then? I don't know if you're able to sort of compare and contrast then. Uh, I've done a little bit of work with Python, yeah. and I've taken like courses on you know doing data science in R and courses on doing data okay. science in Python. And from a functional standpoint, they're functionally equivalent. Okay. So for everything you can do in R, there's probably a library that'll let you do the same thing in Python. In terms of why you'd want to pick R over Python is there's two reasons. One is that R is embedded in lots of different technologies. So like if you're using SQL Server, R is embedded into SQL Server. Uh, if you want to use, if you're using like a Power BI, you can run R in Power BI. And the other thing is that Python is, you know, it's a general purpose language. So you're shelling out to the library and it's just longer. Whereas R is really low ceremony and it's just less typing. So they're functionally equivalent, and roughly in terms of the statistics I've seen, they're about half and half. So half of the data scientists prefer R, half of them prefer Python. So roughly equivalent usage there. That kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, like, if I wanna, if I wanted to get into, you know, uh, that type of analysis, I mean, it's, it almost sounds like I'd have to learn both. And and I guess more importantly, I'm thinking, you know, Python looks like an interesting language. Um, because it's, it's sort of JavaScripty to me, you know, like from my perspective, um, it looks like something that I could pick up, you know, fairly easily and I could use it for like all sorts of things. And I, and, and just sort of as an added side effect, it looks like I could use it for statistical analysis. So, so, you know, there's probably like most of our audience is, is going to be developers and maybe some of them know Python. So for a developer, do you think there's value then in learning R or should they, should they just invest in Python? So if you already know Python, yeah. it's probably going to be a shorter time to usefulness okay. to you know just learn the packages in Python. Yeah. But if you don't know R and if you don't know Python, I think it's really easy to use R. And they're both easy languages to learn. R is easy. Python is easy. They're both very low barrier to entry. Okay. And honestly, you can learn both of them. I mean, you can pick up R in an afternoon and you can pick up Python in an afternoon and be relatively proficient within a few days. Oh, I, I, I always looked at R as being like super intimidating, but no, I, no, I never, not. but I never looked at it. So like, like R is a, it's a very JavaScripty, so it's dynamically oh. typed, uh, very loose language, very easy to pick up. Um, fortunately, unlike JavaScript, like their default, uh, their default number types are a little better chosen. Like you have an integer in R, mm -hmm. 
and you know, unlike, and it's not like a floating point, like your decimal type. It's an actual decimal type, so you don't have okay. any weirdness there. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm kind of looking at it this like you know, what what does it look like for me? I've ne I've never touched uh, statistics. I don't really have a data set. You know, I, I want to learn R. Like, what what do I need to get to Hello World of figuring out what's useful? So in order to learn, you know, I would say that to learn R, I would go ahead and get the uh, data science workload in Visual Studio. Obviously, if we're going to do, uh, if you're a Visual Studio developer, if not, you, know, you can get R tools or you can get R Studio. And then R actually has a lot of built-in data sets for you to use. So that's one of the nice things about R is it's a whole environment for doing statistics. So there are there are things you can just run regular basic statistics on, like there's information about cars and flowers and all the sort of classic statistical data sets you see in textbooks. Uh, R has those built into the language. So you don't actually have to go and hunt and find your own data. It's, it's there for you. Okay. And how do I actually install that environment then? So... If you're in Visual Studio, you yeah. go to the installer and you install the data science workload. Okay. And that will install everything for you. And then you have our tools for Visual Studio. Okay. That's with the data science workload. And then that's pretty much all you have to do. Okay. If you're not doing Visual Studio, you have to go and get our Studio, which is also good, but you know it's a little bit different. And then you download uh, R separately. Okay. And then... The reason I'm going to ask my next question is I just want to gauge the interest level at the conference here. Um, how many people were in your session? Uh, somewhere around 40-ish. Okay, okay. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty well-attended session, I would say. So, I, again, the only reason I ask, I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, it's one of those sessions where it's, like, super specific. You know, somebody has to know, like, what it is and say, yes, I want to go learn more about that. So I'm, I'm wondering, I, w I wish we knew, like, out of that, too, like, were, like, half of them just curious, you know, like, they, they've never really looked at it before, and we don't really have a way of knowing, but... So I've given this talk a whole bunch of times, and yeah. usually what'll happen is you get a bunch of web developers. Uh, in this case, it was almost everybody there was a .NET developer. I usually ask okay. while I'm doing it. Oh, okay. And then you get, like, one or two data scientists. Sometimes you'll have a data scientist who does Python, and they want to learn about R, or sometimes a data scientist is bored, and they just want to troll me, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's also good. I'm yeah. fine with that. This yeah. time, we didn't get any data scientists, so I don't yeah. know if they, they had a better session to go to or something. <laughs> That's so... I guess one of the things that I'm, I'm still trying to get my, my head around is how, how do I know when I'm using R, uh, R if I'm getting something useful back from my data? Because I know there's a lot of times when I try to use statistics and I'm getting something back and is this really an interesting finding? That's a good question. I don't have a good answer to it. <laughs> well, and, and I think I think what prompts that, right, prompted that right, was like um, – it was tabs versus spaces, right? Yeah. So they found that people who use spaces make more money? Yes. And they make like 20% more money? <laughs> or, or, or nine, but either way, yeah. it, it was enough to be significant. Yeah, and of course, the, the guy who did the analysis, then he got bashed in the, in the comments. Because while it was true... Uh, you know, it was like correlation is not causation or so. I don't know, something to that effect. So Yeah, well, and I think part of that is while R is a good language to do the calculations, there's nothing particularly magical about R that's going to save your bacon. Oh. At the end of the day, you have to learn 
actual statistics and be able to analyze data. Now, R will help you become more data literate, mm -hmm. which is good, but R isn't going to do the work for you. Like, you have to know what to do So, so we R. still have to know what, what kind of outcome we're trying to look for. It's not going to be like, here's magic get info out of my data function. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and one of the nice thing about R, one of the nice things about R is that if you want to run a bunch of statistics against your data set all at once, you can do that pretty easily. Like there's a few methods in R that you can run. You can get your like ranges and, you know, mean, median, that sort of thing all at once. And so maybe you can figure out whether one central tendency is better than the other. But at the end of the day, with like the tabs versus spaces thing, if you're talking like correlation versus causation, that's kind of outside of the scope of the programming language. It's more of a, a wetware thing, not a software thing. It's just like writing a .NET application or writing a web application, and you're building towards the wrong requirements. At that point, it's not the code's fault, it's your fault. I can or, blame the code. <laughs> it's always the code's fault. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, another thing is kind of just understanding your data. like. The thing that I always find interesting is when, when you watch sports, like, you know, I, I watch football and you always hear like they, they'll throw out interesting stats. Some, right. Sometimes they're common, but sometimes like, oh, this is the first time somebody's done this since like 1982. And obviously you have to have an understanding of your data and how to, you know, what to even look for to, to kind of pull those, you know, little gems of data out. Well, and sometimes with sports, too, like I was reading uh, Nate Silver's book, uh, Signal in the Noise, and he talks about how there's actually a lot of debate around those statistical measurements that some of them don't necessarily convey the data that people think they do. Mm -hmm. So there's like a whole rabbit hole of here's your number, <laughs> but how is that number generated? And there's different methods for generating that number. And you got to make the argument that that particular series of steps is legitimate. Mm -hmm. So, again, wetware over software. Yeah, that's interesting because we had a we had a data visualization person we were talking to earlier, and like lying with uh, lying with charts basically was one of the things that we brought up. And you could do the same thing with with R, right? Kind of look for things that are, while factually true, are are super misleading. misleading. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and that's any statistical package. Like I do a talk on D3JS, mm -hmm. and it's I have a whole series of slides on how to lie with data. Yeah. You know, manipulate the scale to make things look yep. bigger than they are, or smaller, or whatever. Yep. There's a lot of uh, you know a lot of manipulation around there, and understanding how statistics are created, you know, is going to help you be able to analyze that. So, like for instance, if you're doing sports, if there's some like this number tells you how good somebody is at the sports. I don't do sports, so I'm just making yeah. this up. <laughs> yeah. Sports ball. <laughs> yeah. So if it's like if it's like here's your sports ball rating, and then. This person's sports ball rating is 95, <laughs> and this person's sports ball rating is 90. It's like, how yeah. How does that actually So if compute? they played against each other, this person would definitely win yeah, every exactly. time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we know we're certain. Like really, they just never have to play. <laughs> yeah, you just have to avoid that combination lest you get proven wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe that person will win 5% of the time or something. Yeah. Like, if, But if you understand how that statistic is made, maybe you can you know, come up with better predictions. Yeah, very interesting. Anything else in your session that, that's sort of – Something that us as a developer might not really think about. In terms of R? Or yeah, terms, yeah, sorry. In, ter in terms of R, like, is there anything like, uh, like you, you started looking into R and you were just like, whoa, that's really super interesting. Um, for me, it's all about data literacy. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I spend like the first probably 10 minutes talking about this. And it's this general idea of having an understanding of how, no how statistics, statistics are generated and how numbers are created 
and just having an idea because we have so much data like the volume is just insane we have you know there's like thousands of tweets a second and all this other stuff like they have these statistics it's like petabytes of information or you know they talk about how like we've created more information in the last month than we have in human history and all sorts of weird <laughs> stuff yeah. like that that you know on the face of it doesn't make any sense but we have more data available to us than we've ever had before right. and it's just increasing especially once you start building in like iot and some of the other data sources and just what people are making on the internet it's trying to figure out what to do with that is this huge task and especially as sort of creepy things happen with data like you get the predictive analytics like uh there is this news story from target where target figured out that a teenage girl was pregnant before her dad did <laughs> And sort of understanding a little bit more about how that happens. That's yeah, really that's, important. That's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, one of the key takeaways take is if, if you're interested in the data you have, R can definitely make a huge difference in it. R is fairly easy to learn. And, and it's available, especially if you're a Microsoft developer, in most of its products. I mean, it's in SQL Server. It's in Visual Studio. It, it's in many of the Azure services out there. Yep, R is yep. easy to learn. It's free for you know, and it's really low ceremony. So it's a great tool to add to your tool belt. Very cool. So where can people find you online? Um, you find me at my website, uh, DustinEwers.com. and I'm also on Twitter at Dustin J Ewers. Okay. So those would be the two easiest places to find me. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thank you. Uh, right now we have Danny Warren. He uh, works at Pluralsight and is a former <laughs> Microsoft MVP. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and you, you recently got your hat upgraded. Uh, we mentioned you on the show. You had that awesome picture where somebody noticed you for uh, the hat you had, so we thought we'd we'd get you a shiny new one. Oh, that was such a funny story. <laughs> I was just at some food trucks, and I'm like, Oh, what do I, what should I eat? And someone taps me on the shoulder. Hey, um, is that the MS Dev podcast hat? Well, yes, it is. It is. And uh, and then we departed, and that was it. And then I went and got my corn dog, and he showed up. So we had a big old conversation about like how cool it was. So he's uh, yeah. Shout out to you, Python student. I don't remember your name. I don't actually think we even introduced our names. That was a lifelong connection right there. Yeah, it was. So, so whenever I see whenever I see somebody with a blue hat, I'm always like, oh, I wonder if that's an MS Dev Show hat, and it it never is until I come here. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm waiting to like be like some other place, like down in like you know, traveling to like Houston or Hawaii or something, and then like see somebody with the hat. So you just got to walk in uh, Lehigh, Utah, and you'll see it around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be at this place at this time. Yeah. And you will see that. Yeah, that's not what I'm looking for. So what are you, what are you working on? Uh, so working on, I just started at Pluralsight three months ago um, and working on their plans team. So we work with Enterprise and we work with them to show ROI of Pluralsight and try to get all of the employees of these different enterprises access to Pluralsight so they can learn new skills and close the skills gap. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because it's, I think it's, 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 in an enterprise, I mean, you always have this issue, like an employee is like, you know, I really want to have access to these Pluralsight videos. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it doesn't matter how much it costs. If it was, a, let's pretend like Pluralsight was a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> like it would, it's In difficult theory. to get, it's difficult to get your enterprise to spend a dollar just because it's like, there's this whole process around it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so getting it at, it sounds like you get it at the, at the company level. 
And then, and then that flows down to everybody, which then is just like one shot, and then everybody has access. That's right. Yeah, and we like to That's say it's it. a it's a great you know benefit if you, especially if you want to keep your employees engaged in in on site. Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, sometimes I'll just open up videos um, on topics I'm interested in, and just let them play in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, so then you mentioned earlier you're doing some Cortana stuff. So what's that all about? Yeah. So uh, I'm very passionate about speech recognition and how to help people that, um, you know, help everyone so they they can use their devices without having to touch a bunch of buttons. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you all, but when I'm driving, uh, I'm told that it's illegal to use my phone, mm-hmm. which is good, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to use it. So uh, trying to find ways to improve that experience and Cortana is one of those options, mm-hmm. uh, much like Alexa and uh, Google Assistant. But the cool thing about Cortana is it is cross-platform. It works mm-hmm. on all devices mm-hmm. uh, through an app and it also allows you to use chatbots and surface those up as applications. Yeah, that's so, that's the cool thing, right? So we can write our apps as chatbots and using the Cortana app on all on iOS and Android and natively on Windows, we can expose our little chatbots through there. That's exactly right. That's cool. So uh, one of the topics in my session that I'll be discussing here at that conference is the idea that you write all your logic in this web API under the premise that it is a chatbot, mm-hmm. and then you surface it through multiple different layers uh, or channels, what they're really called. So Cortana Skills is a channel, mm-hmm. and you can uh, make your own application, uh, its own UI experience on top of that same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had an episode on on bots a uh, long, long, yeah. long time ago. Yeah, a little with, over a year ago. I think with Dan Driscoll. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I had asked him about that. I said, I said, hey, you know, like there's this Cortana thing that I have to write code for. And then there's this bot thing that I have to write code for. Like, you know, and I really have like the same interaction model. Like I'm asking a question, getting an answer. It sure would be nice if those were the same thing. And fortunately, smart people made all mm-hmm. of that happen. So you can have one code base. Yeah, it's it's pretty phenomenal. It's really fun to see it come to life. And it's really fun to write it in this context of a chatbot, and then all of a sudden say, you know, like, hey, Cortana, launch computer, and then it comes up and says, oh, enter your captain's log, and then I get to just tell it to do a captain's log. <laughs> so when you say chatbot, are you leveraging specifically, like, the Microsoft SDK for that? Yeah, it's called the Microsoft Bot Framework, okay. and they have a specific SDK that you can install via NuGet, mm-hmm. uh, and they also have a Node version that you can use as well, uh, but I... I particularly uh, specialize in C Sharp, so that's that's where I'm at. So, so with that Microsoft Bot framework, are there like special things on top of it just for Cortana, or is it still just pretty generic? It's pretty generic. Uh, you can tailor it towards certain channels, mm-hmm. so you can have different interactions depending on which channel is coming mm-hmm. into the bot. Uh, but I don't cover that in this session. But what what is cool is. Um, there's these properties on uh, that you set. One is like text that you're going to show and chat, mm-hmm. and then one is speak, mm-hmm. and that's what gets spoken if some kind of channel supports speaking. Mm-hmm. And so Cortana just picks up that speech part and and just speaks it. So you get that for free. You get much. that for free. Yeah. Okay, I'm a little confused now. So, <laughs> so the the so you can be interacting by typing, and then also have Cort- like Cortana can sort of switch modes. Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Okay, I did not know that because I always thought it, I always thought of it as sort of binary. Like you're, I'm choosing this interaction model, and then I could, you know, if I if I hook it up, if I hook my bot up to Cortana directly, and I just want Cortana to be the front end, then it would be voice, or I guess I could type to that as well. I didn't realize it was uh, you could do mixed like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you can think of it more like your bot 
API is just the information and the logic. And then each channel, so that would be Cortana skills yep. or your application or like Slack, uh, decides how it's going to interpret that information. And okay. so yeah, there's specific fun. properties that they've exposed, uh, Microsoft has exposed on the, uh, the interactions. And you can say, this is uh, the text, mm -hmm. and then this is what you would speak if you have yeah. some kind of voice layer on top of it. But that. it could speak all of it, obviously. It, yes, okay. yeah, it could speak all of it, and it could speak none of it. Okay, that's and very the, cool. And then in addition to that, at Build, they were talking about adaptive cards, and they really played up the bot angle to that. I'm assuming that's starting to uh, show itself now, too? Yeah. Or is that, or is that still forward-looking a little bit? So I haven't played with the adaptive cards too much, mm -hmm. but they do have uh, some built-in cards that you can use for like prompting, and uh, you just plug in your own data. So you could have like a like a like a hero image or some some kind of graphic like mm -hmm. that popped up along with the text or voice or instead of. Yes, exactly, and that those are called attachments, mm -hmm. and so uh, certain kinds of dialogues, uh, the the thing you're using for interaction processing is called a dialogue, and certain kinds of dialogue support doing attachments, images, or um, JSON to say uh, tell the the chat client how to render something. And so it's quite flexible, and this is where different channels come into play, where you could customize the interaction between your own application versus Cortana Skills versus Slack. Okay. It's pretty cool. Very mm -hmm. cool. So what else do you have in your presentation? What, what kind of cool stuff? Uh, so I also will show off some uh, voice commands, mm -hmm. and this allows you to launch your application and deep link into it so that you can uh, have any kind of control that you want. Um, <laughs> it, it allows you to pass along dictation text to your application from launch, mm -hmm. uh, so that's really powerful. Um, and then also, uh, I like to show off uh, location in UWP because it's kind of fun to say, hey computer, or hey Cortana, computer, where am I, and, and or beam me up Scotty, and and it shows all that off. So, okay. Um, yeah. What was the? There was a question I was going to ask you earlier, but oh, so if I'm if I'm if I want to build like one of these applications, and uh, do I have to do I have to be an expert in Cortana and in bots, or like should I just build the bot first? I mean, is that is that a reasonable approach, or or do I get a whole bunch of extra things? by thinking about the Cortana angle right up front. Yeah, so uh, in my demo, I just I, I wrote it bot first, mm -hmm. and then I just take the text and okay. I put it in the speak it. Uh, property. And so it's saying exactly what you're reading. Okay. Uh, there's also a language called SSML, Speech Specification Markup Language. Um, it's its own beast. It's, it's really cool, but you can control tone and pitch. But, uh, you know, you got to spend some time to learn how to do that, and I don't show that off. Yeah. Do you think there's any hope in sight for this? Uh, I always call it like a concierge bot, but like ultimately, I, I feel like the implementations of bots out there are, are pretty terrible. Like if you look at the, the Amazon Echo, for example, um, they talk about, I think they have what, like 10,000 bots or whatever um, that, they, that they support. Yeah, or 10,000 apps or whatever, whatever their, their lingo is. And it's like, oh, great, 10,000 things I have to remember, you know, if I were to enable all of them. Because you have to, like, you know, activate it and then ask it. You even, in your example, you said, you know, hey, Cortana, um, um, computer. computer. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. So, it's, yep. so are, yep. do you see any hope on the horizon of, of being able to have the thing you're talking to be a little bit more intelligent and just know how to route things? Uh, I do, but it's a really hard problem to solve, I think, still. Mm -hmm. You're talking about taking something completely out of context 
and trying to decide what context it should be in. Yeah. And I feel like context is still one of those things that's really hard for computers to just do for us. Yeah. And that's why you try to give it some context by saying, I want to execute it against this uh, endpoint or, or, you know, this application. And so for the bot that I show off, it's uh, once you say, hey, Cortana, that launches Cortana up and you say computer uh, or launch computer mm. and that launches the bot. Yeah. And uh, then the bot interaction starts. Interesting. Because browser is figured out, right? You say, like, what are the hours of this restaurant? And they've already, like, mm -hmm. scraped it and they've turned that into, like, logical information. And they can, they can like, give you that. Or how old, uh, well, I was going to say George Washington, how old is Carl, right? Mm -hmm. And it'll, like, tell you the age. Like, it sort of parsed that. Um, and it's f figured it out. You're not saying, you know... Uh, well, I'll say, I'll say, Hey Bing, cause there's no, that won't activate anything, but you don't say like, Hey Bing, ask IMDB, uh, you know, how old is Patrick Swayze? Yeah. Like you don't, you don't do that. Right. But, but when we talked about being generic, like the, the thought that came out to my mind is like, order me a pizza or order me some chocolate. Well, how many different kinds yeah. of pizza places are there? Which one are the ones that I might actually like? Or, yeah, I, yeah, and I, I can see and, why and, it's an interesting problem. And and some of the big ones might want to play well, but some of them might want to not play well on purpose. Like you know. Yeah. You well, know. I think the ones that surface that, I mean, it should pop up and say Pizza Hut or Domino's. You know, yeah. like these are the two. These are yeah, the two Little Caesars is there, but they don't want to play nice, so they just get yeah. excluded. <laughs> yeah, they, they 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 won't tell us how to order a pizza. You know, through through voice, so um, we're just not going to include them. Yeah, and there's a difference I think between trying to seek content context and just giving a bunch of information. Yeah. When you ask uh, Google or Bing what age someone is, mm -hmm. it's going to report you an age, but it's also going to give you all these other search yeah. results because it can. And yeah. it doesn't have to know exactly what you're talking about. It just has to give you I mean, the shotgun approach. Whereas on a bot, you can't say, well, were you talking about this? Were you talking about this? You know, it's it's going to get annoying really quick. Well, and, Apple does it, and it does get annoying really quick. <laughs> right. And, and so I think there's this um, this training we're going to have to go through. And, and someday I do hope that we get to the point where we can just say, you know, hey, Cortana, I really want to just order a pizza. And it knows what my favorite pizza place is because yeah. I ordered there before. Or it knows one that's close by or maybe two and just says, hey, do you want this or this? Yeah. And, and then moves on from there. Yeah, and actually, if I if I think back to kind of the original selling point of some of these things, right? They were like personal assistants, right? Yeah. So now maybe, maybe we should just think of it that way. Like if I if I have a personal assistant, and I say, order me a pizza. Uh, hopefully, he or she knows like what I want on the pizza. But like, you know, I don't know if if they know I'm busy, maybe they're not even going to ask me like pizza at Domino's, the local place. Like, they're going to be like, you know, it's probably quick. You know, they're going to take into these other these other things into account, and then they don't even have to ask me. Yeah. I, I think the part where it gets hard is even that's an easy scenario, but mm -hmm. the personal assistant needs to be different for each person because you might want like, yeah, well, the, these personal. are my favorite ones. <laughs> and, and, and for me, I might I might want a new one every time. Yeah. But, you know, like I like or dislike certain things. So yeah. that's where it gets, I think, really challenging to write these yeah. bots that's, for that. That's interesting. There's no way to do the feedback, right? Like after you get the pizza, like. You know, you like, don't say, hey, it was core. Good, but I wanted something new. Yeah. Hey, core. Yeah. I didn't really like that pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Next time I'll get it from a different place. You, you know? just got to give uh, some feedback, some context. Yeah. Rate your last interaction with uh, your bot. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that's one of the things, uh, getting back to the topic, that uh, the bot framework at least does for single conversations is it, it keeps that context of the conversation, yeah. uh, you know, integrated. You know, it's not, it's not like... Like, uh, what were we just talking about? You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, 
Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about that is you could write a bot that you say uh, the activation phrase could be order pizza. Mm -hmm. And then your bot now becomes the order pizza bot. And then you as a developer can just say, well, I know that Danny loves Little Caesars. It's a true story, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> and, and then it will order me a pizza. And I'll sadly have to go pick it up because they don't deliver. But, you know, you can, you can have all these different options. Well, now I want where Cortana you to pick it up for me. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the end of the world. Yeah. Actually, that would be Uber Eats. Yeah. <laughs> or it dispatches somebody from like Fiverr.com. There or you go. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I'm wondering, you know, there was we, we were in and maybe we still are. It felt like we were in like bot frenzy for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe it was just like within Microsoft, like when when bots were announced, it was like bought all the things. Mm -hmm. And in uh, and, and over time, I, I don't want to I actually don't think that that frenzy's really like gone down that much. Like it's still sort of like that. Yes. But I feel like, you know, there's there's. There's like that internal, like, you know, hey, look at all these bot opportunities. And and I kind of feel like on the on the outside of the world, everybody else is like, what are bots? Like, mm -hmm. you know, they're not really thinking about that. Um, so I'm sure the truth probably lies somewhere somewhere in the middle there. But I, I'm just thinking like for, for the person who is listening and they have an application that does X, Y, Z, and they're just like, listen, like we haven't had bot functionality before. We haven't integrated with Cortana. Like, why should we do this? So I guess that's my first question is like, should they even look at this? Like, is this worthwhile? That's, that's, that's my kind of my main first question there. So I would say, think about what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to open up more avenues for interaction with your uh, software? And if you are, then a bot's a great way to do that. Because yeah. if you, especially if you use the Microsoft bot framework, uh, I can't say enough good things about it because you can integrate it into Slack, Cortana Skills, team, Microsoft Teams, uh, Facebook Messenger, yeah. it just, the list goes on and on and on. And I'm sure more will just be added. Yeah. And so if, if you're trying to open it up, you can even simplify what your app, you know, your, your software does yeah. into some core competencies that can be done through text or some, you know, speech to text, text to speech kind of scenarios. Um, if you're more about just trying to add a really rich experience to your software and you just want it to be, you know, really beautiful and you want people to use your website or your or your mobile app then a bot may not be the right answer for what you're trying to accomplish yeah i i'm actually i'm thinking that just most people aren't trying to do any of those things right they just have <laughs> they have the app and they're just like eh like my app works pretty well i mean i kind of liken it to um when the mobile web started getting popular and let's just go like pre-iphone um you know we and actually actually we can even go post iphone i remember having these conversations um where it's like, okay, we have our app, like, should we, or our website, should we make a mobile version of our website? And it was always this thing like, no, that's a lot of work. <laughs> and well, you know what? I mean, it was, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. a lot of work. And like, look at, <laughs> this is, it's funny. It's, it's funny to think about in hindsight because look at our stats. There's no mobile users using our site. So why should we build a mobile app? So you, you get into that whole thing where it's, it's funny. It's because you don't have a mobile. It's not, it's not, doesn't work well on mobile. So of course nobody is going there. Um, so everybody was like, I shouldn't say everybody. Most people, I think, were reluctant to like just like say, "Hey, let's throw some money at this problem and make a mobile website." Um, like, why should I make a mobile website now? It seems like so obvious to us, but I'm wondering if that same thing is happening in bots, where right now we're just like, "Why should I make a bot?" And maybe in five years, I'll be like, "We well, have yeah, everybody has a bot. Of course, mm -hmm. you have that, that interaction model." So I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, and I I don't know if that's you know I don't know if I have any thoughts necessarily on that. But the one word of caution I would say is that. When I go use 
websites, and they will remain nameless, but they are certain <laughs> telecommunications companies or other such things where they have a bot that comes up and says, "Can I help you? My name is, you know, such and such." I'm like, well, your name is not actually such and such. You're just a chat bot, and yeah. you're not a real person, it's even though you're 32. <laughs> yeah, and it's like seriously, if you're gonna have a bot, at least make it obvious that it's a bot, so that you're not lying to myself or my grandmother. Please don't lie to my grandmother, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and make it useful. So if if its job is to get you in line to talk to a real person, then make that obvious. So whatever it is that your bot's purpose is, make it obvious that that's the reason. Because if you're not going to do that, it gets really frustrating. And I've heard this from numerous people, and myself included. I was going to say, maybe bots on those websites are actually really good now, but you know, I refuse to use them. So <laughs> yeah. like one day they're going to be good, and I'll still be like, no, I'll be, you know, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Zero, 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 whenever I call in and (laughs) yeah, just distrusting of those things. Um, Any other thoughts on on bots that you wanted to to mention? Um, I would love to see bots replace the time I have to spend on my phone when it's like the little uh, dial into each section. Like if I'm going to call my telecommunications company, let me get everything going and then let me push a button and call me back when you're ready to actually let me talk to a real person. You know, that, that is such a good point. I would love to talk to a bot. And say, listen, my, I don't know, my, my fiber line got cut, <laughs> you know, like, and it, and it understands like what the actual problem is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It actually understands the problem. And then it goes, okay, you need to be talking to this department and they, you know, they're pretty busy today, but they will call you back in approximately 45 minutes. Like I'd be like, Oh, you saved me so much time. It's amazing. That would be useful. So I love that. And the real world example today is if you had to go through that, you'd be sitting on hold for 45 minutes and go to the wrong department. Oh, and then the human, you get the, you get the, I'm I'm going to continue, I'm going to hold myself back here, (laughs) but you get that first human and nothing against that, that human, but they don't, you know, they're not the person that I should be talking to. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're the human that's just like, they're, they're a warm body that's really no better than the bot. And uh, I need to talk to the next human who will get me to the next human who actually gets me to the human that's like, oh, your fiber line is cut. And now, I mean, the back door to all of that now is I just go on Twitter and I complain and mm-hmm. then they dispatch it to the right person. And it's like magic. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't work whenever you whenever you actually call in. So this is true. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. I've and used Twitter sad. many Thanks. times to solve problems. <laughs> we, we started talking about Cortana and now I'm sad. <laughs> Well, on a bright side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, Any other questions, Carl? No. uh, If people want to find out more about you or Cortana, where can they find you online? Uh, They should go to Danny D. Warren uh, on Twitter and GitHub and LinkedIn and any other social media site you want to find me on. Just ask your local friendly neighborhood boss. There you go. (laughs) I'll have one set up for you. Awesome. And uh, we'll also have a new blog site up soon. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on in real life. Thank you. (laughs) 